Welcome to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. This is Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. People call me PG, and I'm so honored to lead this amazing ministry that is really trying hard to glorify God. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Matter of fact, go to our website, tbcaugusta.org. You can find out about all the wonderful things that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God at our church. Matter of fact, you can also give through Secure Give, Giveify. We pray that you will partner with us as we once again do all that God calls us to be. Well, let's get into that word and that experience. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. Hallelujah. One more time, give God the absolute best praise you can. I know it's early, but I'm grateful for a God that is that kind of loving God. Amen. Well, guys, let's get to work. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 18, all the fathers, come on, let's give them a round of applause. Let's bless God for all the fathers. And, and also, just as it is with Mother's Day, it can be difficult. And so for us uh, who have graced to have amazing fathers, it's never been an easy one for me. So for those of you who've lost fathers, my prayers are with you. Perhaps some who have estranged uh, from fathers, we pray perhaps if it's God's will, there'd be restoration. And in these moments, whenever you have anybody in your life, because some of the greatest fathers we have aren't biological fathers. They can... Um, they can be spiritual mentors and, and people I know that have really been a blessing to me, even in this church that I'm grateful for. And I pray um, that you are uh, once again reminded today of God's goodness. And to all of our graduates, if you came early, we celebrate our graduates one time. Let's put our hands together for them and celebrate them. Amen. So we're so honored to be with them. First Samuel 18, we're going to continue our series after God's own heart. And we are looking at the story and narrative of David. I hope it has been helpful the few weeks that we've sojourned through it. And uh, I hope and pray that it get better and, and we'll take some, some twists and turns. I want to do some unusual passages, some that we don't necessarily look at in the life of David. So I hope that you pray with us as we are uh, trying our best to be faithful in the proclamation of the whole counsel of God's word. First Samuel 18 verse 5 is where we're going to start today. And that may change, so multimedia may have to flow with me a little bit. We're going to start at verse 5. And this is the word of God. Whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs and lutes, and in playful frolic, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. For you know they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Next day, an ugly mood was sent by God to afflict Saul, who became quite beside himself, raving. David played his harp as he usually did at such times. Saul had a spear in his hand. Suddenly, Saul threw the spear, thinking, I'll nail David to the wall. David ducked, and the spear missed. This happened twice. Now Saul feared David. It was clear that God was with David and had left Saul. So Saul got David out of his sight by making him an officer in the army. David was in combat frequently. Everything David did turned out well. Yes, God was with him. And Saul saw David becoming more successful. He himself grew more fearful and he could see the handwriting on the wall. But everyone else in Israel and Judah loved David. They loved watching him 
in action. Look again to verse 10 and 11. It simply says, the next day an ugly mood was sent by God to afflict Saul, who became quite beside himself raving. David played his harp as he usually did at such times, and Saul had a spear in his hand. Suddenly Saul threw the spear, thinking, I'll nail David to the wall. But David ducked, and the spear missed. This happened twice. For time with Zions, I want, as we continue this series, I want to preach from this thought today. I want to talk about succeeding with holes in the wall. Touch your neighbor, say, neighbor, you can succeed even with holes in the wall. Lift those hands to heaven. Say, Lord, speak. We need to hear. You may be seated in the presence of our God. In life, you have two choices. Either you can throw a pity party or throw a praise party. For most of us, that is something that I think takes maturation because life, depending upon your perspective, can once again be gleaned in a particular way. There are many things that happen in life, yet how you choose to respond to them really begins to speak about your own understanding of how God navigates and moves in our lives. I submit for most of us, the tension of that it really begins to garner itself much steam because we begin to try to figure out how am I supposed to interpret certain situations in life? Because if the truth be told, life can throw us lemons. Either you can choose to be sour or turn those lemons into lemonade. That's a tension for us because I want to submit to you that really that is where we find ourselves lodged in many moments. But on one hand, we can mourn what happened to us or we can be motivated by what should have happened but didn't. I mean, at some point, I have to figure out, am I going to allow this situation to cause me to lose my mind, lose myself? Or am I going to look in retrospect and, yes, it was tough, yes, it was hard, but look how God has brought me through on the other side. That's what happens as we continue this journey, as we are journeying with this uh, narrative and finding uh, our way to see the life of David. So much has happened in just a couple of chapters as we saw him being anointed and called by God in 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 17, we see David uh, defeating a giant by the name of Goliath. And when we get to chapter 18, now all of a sudden David has now moved from the sheep pen behind his father's house to now occupy the place in the palace led by King Saul. And when we read our text that he is intriguing here, he meets the prince by the name of Jonathan, but yet something happens. The interaction with Saul now becomes muddled. We see now an insecure king who wants to get rid of this upstart by the name of David. And what intrigued me, my brothers and sisters, is a text tells us that while David is trying to do good, trying to operate in his assignment, King Saul picks up a spear and he tries to pin David to the wall. The Bible is clear. This was not just one time, but twice. Twice Saul misses pinning David to the wall. And what really began to get my imagination, Deacon Brown, is can you imagine as David looked and saw these holes in the walls from the javelins that were meant to restrict him and cause him some harm. But look at what God says that after ducking these spears twice, the Bible says, but everything that David did he succeeded. 
That even though there were powers that be that were meant to try to hurt him and harm him and hinder him, the grace of God was so powerful upon David's life that he could have used the holes as an excuse to say, I'm never meant to achieve anything. But he did not allow the holes to cause him to mourn. He was motivated by God's preservation of his life. And what we see in our text is what I believe all of us need to navigate is that you can succeed even with holes in the wall. That you can have periods and points where there are those who don't want to see you be all that God has destined in your life. But somebody can testify that I may not be able to choose how people do something to me. But I do have the mature choice to see how I can respond to it. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, 1 Samuel chapter 18 teaches us that there are some moments that things will happen in our lives that we have no control over. You can be a good person and still be treated wrong. You can love people and still be hated by others. But one thing that 1 Samuel 18 also teaches us is this juxtaposition that yes, some things negatively will come my way in life. But when I know that I'm following after God, God will sometimes use what's negative to be something to help develop me to be all that God wants me to be. I wish I had some real mature people at the 715 worship experience that can testify when you look back over over your life that some of your best growth moments weren't in the most positive of situations but God is so awesome that he can produce positive outcomes even in negative situations God can take negatives and make them turn around for your good I'll have some Bible readers in the church that can testify Romans 8 and 28 says for we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and I got a winning combination for each of us today you plus God is always going to win. I wish I had somebody that could help me preach. I know it's early, but lean over to somebody and say, neighbor, I know it's early, and you probably haven't eaten breakfast yet, but I got the breakfast of champions for you today, and that is when you got God on your side, it don't matter what comes your way, God will help you to prosper through it. Do I got anybody here that already knows what I'm preaching about? I could close my Bible, put my microphone down, because you know for yourself when God gets involved with it it doesn't matter what trap what scheme what javelin is thrown your way God still has the final say and that's the powerful thing of this text. I, do you mind just a few moments? I promise you I won't keep you long. But, but I see here in the text, uh, uh, there, there are certain things about this narrative of Deacon Prince that really astound me. Because I think as we look at David's initiation into the palace, there's some things that we can learn that God sets up sovereignly in order to move us to a place of success, even with holes in the wall. Here it is, my brothers and sisters. Let me give you a few principles. This is my last sermon in my 30s, so y'all pray for me. I'm trying hard to give you all the energy I have because I'm not sure how much longer I got in this thing and how much more energy I have. So y'all going to take my last sermon in 30s and y'all going to do all you can with it. Now next time you hear me preach, I may not be as vibrant vigorous. I may not have as much power, so y'all pray for the old preacher. But but I see some things in this text that's incredible to me, and I want to share them with you. Here it is. The first principle. Jot this down, guys. This is powerful to me, is that when we learn how we can succeed with holes in the wall, the first thing that this text said to teach us is that godly friendships become blueprints for our future. That what I'm suggesting to you is that God will give you true friends. I know that ain't deep for everybody, 
But that blessed me in our text because I've learned sometimes if you want to know how much God thinks of you, look at the circle he lets you be in. And somebody ought to be shouting and celebrating because you know how impactful true friends can be in your life. That's, that's text. Matter of fact, this to me is one of the most powerful narratives in 1 Samuel 18 because what we see is David now making his way into the palace. This is the upstart. This is a young man that slayed a giant by the name of Goliath. And because of him doing that, there were certain promises that was given to David. David was be able to keep his family legacy going. David would be tax-free for the rest of his life. And David would then be engraved and ingratiated in royalty. And here is what's intriguing. The first Samuel 18, the first couple of verses tell us that the first individual he meets when he gets into the palace is the prince prince named Jonathan. This, we know who Jonathan is. 1 Samuel chapter 14 gave us more insight that he's a faithful soldier. 1 Samuel 14 gives us the insight of, of how Jonathan is very starkly different than his own father King Saul. I mean, Jonathan had a heart after God. Jonathan believed the word of God. And it's important, my brothers and sisters, that the first individual that David meets in the palace is the prince Jonathan. Now, you're going to say, why is that significant? Well, let me tell you why it's significant to me. Because remember, David comes in uh, and he's been anointed as the next king. He is, in essence, the one that's going to continue the legacy. God has chosen David to lead Israel to his highest heights. It is David that Samuel was able to pour the anointing all along. So it's strange to me, my brothers and sisters, uh, that the first person he meets in the palace uh, is the one who, according to the lineage of how things are supposed to go, uh, is supposed to be next in line. Jonathan is not supposed to like David because David is a threat to him on the throne. But the text tells me something intriguing, that when Jonathan meets David, their hearts, their souls get linked together. Matter of fact, he loves David so much, he starts giving him gifts. He gives him the garments off of his own back, gives him his own belt. And it's intriguing to me that what we see a stark difference between the prince in the palace and David's interaction with his brother on the battlefield. Y'all remember that when he was fighting Goliath, before he even got out there, his own brother was starting to talk about you getting too big for your bridge you think you were all that and he was trying to hinder the progression of David his own brother did not like the fact that David was trying to to advance himself advance the kingdom of Israel and so his brother who was close to him became his biggest hater but here in 1 Samuel 18 someone who's supposed to be an enemy someone who's supposed to be intimidated by him decides to ingratiate himself and be his best friend isn't that like God child of God that sometimes God God will give you closer relationships with people that not even close to you from a blood or familial type of relationship. And it's amazing to me how God will sometimes send people you least expect to be your best friend. You least expect to be helpful to you. You least expect to walk with you and guide you and lead you. It's those people that God will send your way to show you what he's tend for you to be in the future. I know I got some people that can look over life and 
and testify you have some BFF and people looking at you talking about how are y'all friends I mean y'all come from different places y'all supposed to have different mentalities y'all are going after the same job y'all have the same skill set but God has a unique way of knitting people's heart together that may not make sense in the world but it will end up being a blessing to you in the long run somebody knows that I'm preaching about because you have some people in your life that you can lean on and they're the first ones you call it ain't your brother it ain't your sister it ain't your mama sometimes sometimes it ain't your daddy there's some people that you can talk to that God has knitted in your life and I'm here to tell you that a life that is not filled with friends is a life not worth living at all some of us ought to be grateful that God grants us friends and what I love about the text is Jonathan who should have threat becomes a great blessing to David. Can I tell you that God will always have some palace people that's ready to help you be who God wants you to be? There's some people whose sole assignment is to push you to your next level. There are some people that God has already strategically placed ahead of you to advance you where God wants you to be. That's why when you pray, God, open a door, the next prayer should be, God, give me the right individuals on the other side of the door that can help me be all that I can be. I want to just talk to some people because I know you want to talk about how bad your boss is uh, and I know you want to talk about how messy your co-workers are and I know you want to talk about how some of the students get on your nerves uh, but there's at least one or two individuals uh, wherever God sends you uh, that they are better than those people you're talking about so can we celebrate some people today that God has graced us with that are good friends to us that want the best for us and we can say Lord I thank you because there's no competition they're just preparing me for my next. I'm here to tell you that in life, it's hard. And when you get a good friend, you better appreciate it. When you get some people that love you for you, you better appreciate it. When you get some people that don't want nothing else from you but to see you be the best that you you ought to appreciate when you get some people who honestly and genuinely care about you willing enough to tell you when you're wrong willing enough to push I wish I had some people at some point you ought to be grateful that God still dispenses friends in our lives and here's what's crazy and this is what wowed me in my study because I will admit to you preachers I have always assumed that Jonathan and David were the same age. But when you study the text, there is substantial information, Deacon Prince, that it is plausible for us to assume that Jonathan was literally 30 years older than David. If that's the case, that blows my mind even further because it's not just this connection between David and Jonathan, but you have an intergenerational connection because these are two individuals who come from two different perspectives. Jonathan was the prince. He was used to royalty. David was the upstart who was used to shoveling his, uh, the sheep uh, with his father. And it's amazing to me how God can take someone who's 30 years older, which teaches me that really, honestly, 
When you have a heart for an individual, it don't matter how much differences you bring to the table. Help me, Holy Ghost. You may not see things the same, but you ought to still love. I wish I had somebody that can testify. I thank God for some older mentors and some older friends who have been there and done that. And not trying to look at you to change you, but there to provide wisdom and insight into your life. God will grant you friends as a gift. My brothers and sisters, this was crucial because what he was given to David would ultimately become David's garb. Because when he took off his garment and placed it on David, it was symbolic of him saying, you are the next king. And I want to talk to some Jonathans because it takes real maturity to receive the gift in someone else and not be intimidated and be okay allowing them to be what perhaps you wanted to be at some point. Y'all ain't gonna help me. And I know this ain't time to talk, but I submit to you that Jonathan teaches us that many times tenure is not an assumption that we should almost always put everybody in the next position. Because Jonathan was prince, but he knew David was going to be the king. I, I want to submit to you that godly friendships in our text become the blueprint for our future. But there's something else we see in the text. Is that secondly, we also learn that giftedness attracts unmerited and restrictive attacks. That when you are gifted, you should expect to be attacked. I know it's going to mess some of y'all up because for most of us, we want to talk about I'm gifted. I'm highly anointed. The Lord is using me. Well, that sounds good. Just know that your gift attracts not just attention but attacks you you don't believe me it's right here in the scriptures matter of fact when he gets there verse six through nine is intriguing because when they now arrive back to the place of Gibeah which is the capital of Israel at this time under the leadership of Saul the all the women the text tells us come out to welcome these soldiers these conquering army back home and just what they do in that time, what they would naturally do is they would, they would sing songs as, as ways to, to kind of give reverence to their victory. So can you imagine it's women coming out and, and you see Saul riding on his, his horse. And the women, the first phrase of the song is, Saul has killed his thousands. Imagine Saul said, this is a good song. I want y'all to keep singing this song. But they added a second part, which said, but David has killed his 10,000. All of a sudden, David's name is getting out there, and this causes jealousy and insecurity to rise up in Saul. Can I tell you, that's why oftentimes you got to be careful because songs of praise to you could raise up insecurity in other people that a lot of people can't handle when you start getting the credit. You've seen that on your job. You've seen that in certain situations. And, and some of us, honestly, we, we didn't think anything about it. Matter of fact, the song wasn't even a true song. David only killed one giant. And Saul knew what had happened. But his jealousy got the most of it. And so now with this song playing, the text brings us back to the place. And the Bible says something intriguing that God sends a bad mood to Saul. And at this moment, we see another gift set that David has. He starts to play the harp 
He's playing harp and trying to soothe Saul. He's coming to help Saul, someone who's jealous of him, someone who's insecure of him. But David decides to stay true to who he is, and he decides to try to help Saul, even though Saul is the one in a bad mood. There's a principle there, Deacon Brown, I appreciate, because David also teaches us is that true maturity is exposed in the fact that can you be humble and submit to people you know don't like you? Okay, I know, I know, I know this. I know this, that's not for everybody. I know you work in environments where all y'all get along and y'all sing Kumbaya in the morning and y'all all go out to eat lunch together and... Y'all go skipping together. You can't wait. Matter of fact, when the clock strikes five o'clock, you want to stay an extra hour because of the wonderful work environment that you have. And, and you go to bed early at nine o'clock so you can get up early to go back and frolic with those wonderful people on the next day. But there's a few of you under the sound of my voice that a lot of times God has had to stretch you because now you are operating in spaces where you know people don't like you. And David teaches us that David does not try to sabotage Saul. He does not try to cause issues for Saul. But he knows that something's wrong with Saul. But he's going to do what he needs to do to try to get Saul back in a good mood. I know that's hard for us to comprehend because we live in a world where if someone does you wrong, do them wrong. We live in a world where if people treat you bad, treat them bad. But I appreciate the maturity of David that teaches us there are some moments God... It's trying to stretch you and develop you. And you're not always going to be in atmospheres where it's going to be positive. It's not always going to be in atmospheres where everybody's going to pat you on the back. But here's the true maturity, brothers and sisters. Can you still be you and do the best you can even in environments that may seem to be negative? Can you still stay humble and faithful and loyal even in moments where you are being tested on every side? David played the harp for and I believe, my brothers and sisters, this is powerful because it teaches us when you have the heart of God, you realize that every assignment is not going to be an easy assignment. And here's what's crazy. In him trying to do good to Saul, Saul looks at him with even more evil intentions. David's only there to help Saul. David is playing his harp. But the more David tries to do for Saul, the more Saul is intent on trying to destroy David. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but as I read and meandered and prayed over this text this week, God gave me this resolution that he sent me to tell somebody, you can give your best and they still might not change. I, I know that's kind of hard because you're so spiritual and you're so saved that you just assume that as long as I keep praying, as long as I do right by them, they'll eventually change. The text is clear that there are some moments and some people that no matter how good you treat them, no matter how faithful you are to them, some folk are just going to be who they're going to be. Y'all ain't going to like me. 
But I had to learn this even as a pastor. You can love some people, but they still going to be mean. You can really be faithful to some people, and their view of you will never change. At some point, can you be mature enough to say, even if you don't change, I'm still going to be faithful to my assignment. You ain't got to like me, but as long as God got me here, I'm going to do what I wish I had somebody. Because this is a hard moment for us in this current generation because we want everything to be perfect before we can serve baby let me bring you to the real world it is not always going to be to your liking you're going to have to work with people that, that can't stand you but you still got to be faithful anyhow do I got anybody here that say I'm going to keep on playing my heart because I would tell you David becomes my hero in scripture because the Bible says that while he's trying to help Saul Saul's trying to destroy him Saul picks up a spear, the Bible tells us, with the intent on pinning David to the wall. To me, his intent is crazy because at best, he'll pin David. But at worst, he'll kill David. Because some people's attack, I've learned this, it can be messy or it can be malicious, it's still going to hurt. Okay, the Bible says Saul picks up his spear and he throws it at David. And the Bible says, real succinctly, David ducks. Then the Bible says something else that blew my mind is Saul gets the spear again and throws it a second time and David ducks twice. Now, y'all help me as, as I'm getting older. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be better. Y'all pray for your pastor. I'm trying to be more like Christ every single day. I, but reading the Bible struggles some moments. Because for me, if you throw the spear once. And you miss once. I don't know if I got the maturity to give you another chance to try to get me twice. Okay, I know, I know some of y'all, y'all so saved. That, that's, that's why I'm glad I, I'm here with y'all, journeying together with y'all. Y'all, you'll make your pastor better because I know some of y'all would say, well, pastor, if he throw it three, four times, I'll sit there where y'all are so much better than me because I ain't gonna front. If you get me one time, I grew up in a day where they say, if you got me one time, shame on you. But if I give you a second chance, say, I wish I had some time. But David in our text teaches us that there's some seasons you got to stay loyal to the assignment, even though there will be some attacks coming your way. Y'all don't like me because most of us, after that first javelin was thrown, we hanging up our harp. We telling Saul, I'm done. God, I'm out of here. This is not what I signed up for. But when you are married to your assignment, when you know what God has for you, you you ain't tripping over the javelins because you understand if God has me here God is faithful enough to protect me here and no matter what you try to do you cannot make me leave what I know God has for my life I wish I had some people that can look back over life and wish you could turn back the hands of time because some stuff you should have waited your way through some stuff you should have just kept on ducking why because at the end of the day the word of God is true. No weapon that's formed against 
you shelf. I wish I had some real folk in here that can look over your life and testify. He didn't say the weapons won't come. He didn't say they won't be thrown. But what he did say is it will not prosper, which means as long as I got God, lie on me, I'm still going to be here. Talk about me, I'm still going to be here. Try to restrict me, I'm still going to be here. Why? Because I know what God has placed inside of me. I know. And I know that's hard. But the problem with modern Christianity, Brittany, is simply this. Is we want a spearless experience. And when you are gifted by God, you should be expecting spears to come your way. I know it's hard because we live in a day and age where we want people to think just because you love the Lord, you're exempt from trial and travail. But David teaches us you can be in the right place, operating in your gift, and still have spears thrown your way. But what David teaches us is that here's the good news I want to tell you. Instead of complaining, instead of getting mad, instead of quitting, can I tell you what you need to do? Keep ducking. I know y'all missed it. I know you missed it. I know, I know that it makes sense. But if they're going to come, don't be stupid enough to let it hit you. Be smart enough to say, I know what's coming, which means I got to always be, oh, see, y'all don't read your Bible. Jesus told the disciples, uh, pray and watch. Y'all ain't gonna like me. Which means that what I believe is David knew Saul can't be trusted but my assignment is to serve him even though he can't be trusted to treat me right. Which means I know who I'm serving and operating with. So even though I'm gonna do my part, I know what you're about to do. So I'm not gonna let you get close enough to pin me but I'm gonna be close enough to serve you because I'm not really serving you. I'm serving my God. I wish I had time. I'm done. Godly friendships become blueprints for our future. Giftedness attracts unmerited and restrictive attacks. But then there's something else. This third principle, greatness is exposed in places we are underestimating. The last portion of 1 Samuel 18, I wish I had more to give you, is that David, that Saul realized he could not kill David himself. So he decides to create two moments that he believes is going to be the end of David's life. First one, if you keep reading, verses 13 through 16, text says that he decides to make him an officer in the army. He decides to, to put David in what he believes is the most fragile and most frantic place of the army because in his mind, he does not think David can survive on the battlefield. But if you keep reading 13 through 16, it tells us, that no matter what he does to David, and no matter what part he puts him at, David continues to succeed. Saul thought he was destroying David, but he was really giving David the opportunity to show how great he really was. So he gave him a project. He put him in a precarious situation that he thought would be the end of David and people will see that David really is not that good. But when Saul had evil plans to make David look like a fool, the Bible tells us David succeeded 
anyhow. And the reason he succeeded is because God was with him. Let me see if I can put this in. Saul's main thing was, I'm going to put David in a situation where he cannot succeed. But because God was with David, wherever Saul put him, David still succeeded. Okay, let me see if I can bring it home. Some of you can testify that there have been moments that people underestimated you. They put projects in your hand. They gave assignments to you that they thought was going to be too big for you. They never assumed that you would actually take what they gave you and do the very best that you can do. And so what they thought was going to be for your demise ended up being for your promotion. Because what they failed to understand is that when God be for you, he's more than the world that's against you. He tries to put him in the army. Here's the final thing. But then there was something else, and I close with this. Text then tells us, he realizes that David is too good of a fighter. So even though I tried to destroy him, this is not, it's not working. So let me see what I'm going to do. I, I made an offer that if you kill the giant, I'll let you marry my daughter. Well, cool. I'll give one of my daughters to you, Michael. But, but David, you come from a poor house. Your father and them is hard. At that time, you had to pay a dowry to marry somebody. So if you read verses 17 to around verse 30, what you note is that, that Saul says, well, since he, he's a good fighter, let me see if I can get him with the matters of the heart. All right, David, you want to marry my daughter? Cool, but this is what it's going to take. You're going to have to give me 100 Philistine scouts. That's going to be the dowry to prove to me that you're worthy to be my son-in-law. Matter of fact, if you read the scripture, it tells us that David really had a hard time because he really did not feel like he was worthy to even be in the royal lineage with Saul. So Saul sent servants and people to put in his head, man, you can do it. Go ahead. You can do it. Just give a hundred scouts of Philistine. But if you read the text, it tells us that he goes off, fights the Philistines, and when he comes back, he does not have 100 scouts. Text says he has 200 scouts. He doubles up what Saul even asked him to do. And this is all I feel I want to say because some of y'all got to understand why that's significant. It's significant because when you read 1 Samuel 18, there's a balance in what the narrator is trying to suggest to us because he gives us the balance between two corresponding but yet married statements that he teaches us that in 1 Samuel 18, David successful, number one, because God chose David. But he also says in similar fashion that David is successful, not just because God chose David, but David is successful because David chose God. I'm done. Y'all missed it. I'm here to tell you that sometimes the real power and success in our lives is not just to know that God has chosen us, but when you make the decision that I'm going to choose God is when God can ultimately blow your mind. I'm done. Somebody can testify that when you made that decision and you said, God, I choose you. Somebody knows that you saw God do some incredible stuff, which means here's the real shout. I'm not just praising God because he chose me, but I'm praising God 
because I choose God. Is there anybody beside the preacher that gets excited because every day you wake up, you make the same choice over and over again. Today, I choose God. It don't matter what I got to face. As long as I got God, I got everything that I need. Everyone standing. Tell somebody next to you, tell them with God, you got all you need. With God, you got all you need. Everyone standing. Can you imagine being David, having to navigate life with holes in the wall? Every hole was a reminder of what he survived. And I want you to close your eyes quickly because every now and again, you ought to just take a stroll down memory lane. And I know you was upset because they treated you bad. I know, I, know, I know that you're angry because there was some that you gave your heart to and you gave your effort to and they didn't appreciate it. But for one quick moment, can you just look at the walls of your life? Can I ask you to go to that wall and run your hand over the different holes that have been left? Those holes are the attacks that didn't work. Those holes are the lies that didn't stick. Those holes are the things that people thought was going to be to your detriment, but here you are still here. I know you're angry because you didn't deserve it. And I know you're a good individual, but I'm telling you, I'm grateful for the reminder that God can still bless me with holes in the wall. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for my As we stand. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Don't forget, go by our website, tbcaugusta.org, there to see all that we got going on. And also, I thank you in advance for your benevolence and your gift that helps us promote the kingdom of God. Listen, I want to see you come back. Check us out later. Love you much. Take care. Peace.